time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Listeners, David Kittle called me and says, you've got to meet and talk to John Mahoney. I think he'd make a great podcast interview, especially when you consider what John does. So our guest today is John Mahoney, is CEO and co-founder of Moby LC. They deliver a number of innovative tech solutions, specifically in the cybersecurity space. And we're going to talk about liveness verification, something called liveness. You've heard all the different ways, dual authentication, all the different ways you can authenticate getting into a website. Folks, we have a real risk going on out there, and it's just getting exponentially worse. So how are you going to solve that? On our interview today with John, you're going to get some new insights. And let's get started. John, good to have you joining us in our podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having us. You bet. Good to have you here. And Mark is my co-host is with me as well. Mark, thanks for joining in on this interview. Glad to be here, David, and glad to be here with you, John. Yes, sir. John, thanks, Mark. Let our audience get to know a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what has brought you to the place you're at today. Again, appreciate you for your time. My name is John Mahoney. I basically got into the entrepreneur bug about 40 years ago. It seems like that's immediately went into data validation and identity fraud prevention, mainly triggered from the issues at 9-11. I really didn't know how I could help. The issue was I was gravely concerned about people getting on airplanes with fake IDs. And it really motivated me and my team to go out and figure out solutions for industries. And you know, we, we obviously try to raise capital, win in various markets, and had a profound impact on, of all things, the casino industry. Really? Did, yeah, did extremely well with casinos, installed software in about 90% of the casinos in Las Vegas, a lot of the global providers, basically, because uh, they have a lot of strict guidelines and uh, FinCEN reporting mechanisms they have to follow. And we help them clean all that process up, track their players, their amounts of money they're spending, submit SARS reports and do all those wonderful things that they needed to do to keep their regulators off their back and work there. That was one major impact. The other good impact I think we did with our digital onboarding and our identity space and identity verification space was in pharmacies. We saw the Combat Meth Epidemic Act back in 2005 and saw a major need for pharmacies to be able to manage the purchase and sell of pseudofederin products. There was a huge issue with people taking the products, just jumping around between stores, buying up a lot of product, and then going home and cooking up methamphetamine for uh -huh. precursors. We invented a system, actually launched it in London, Kentucky, with a drug task force, caught a, identified what they call them Smurfers, and uh, followed him back to his house, popped him for his lab. That happened in one week, and we had CVS ready to contract within three months. Wow, good. Yeah, today in about it's about sixty thousand pharmacies out there using the platform, so it's uh, keeps so about two hundred. Yeah, two hundred thousand milligrams of meth off the streets every week. Hey, that's my that's my claim to fame there. So you're the reason I have to give them a birthday every time I get some <laughs> decongestants. They better be given their ID. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. That's us. 
That's good. We need to get more controls in place, especially when it comes to big pharma, what's going on there. But let's shift over and talking about what's going on in the mortgage space. I love talking to innovators and those that are looking for solutions. And you clearly have that. We seem to have and continue to have significant cyber security issues here in the industry. And that's just in spite of us putting forth a significant effort to stop that. We hear about it more and more security breaches. So whatever we're doing does not seem to work. Could you give us a state of the industry as it relates to cybersecurity and just how vulnerable are we, John? Whew. How long do we have today? <laughs> yeah. The financial sector is the number one targeted cybersecurity attack and are, they're attacked more than any other sector in the world when it comes to cybersecurity and breaches. I guess that goes back to the, why do robbers rob banks? That's where all the money is. So it's weird if you're looking for this and they're doing it for, to get wealth, this is, it makes sense. And we're so vulnerable. And it boils down to, you think of industries out there, you're exactly right. The money's there, but the lack of controls and mechanisms in place. If you think about the mortgage process today, it still boils down to a loan officer who's on commission, by the way, a commissioned loan officer performing an identity verification of the borrower. And then everyone down the custody chain, if you would, everyone throughout the lending process trusts that one loan officer making a photocopy of a borrower's ID. We should point out here that you owned or a partner in a mortgage company. So it's not like you have an entrepreneur that doesn't understand the mortgage process. Talk a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah, we got into the business a while back and, and was successful up to the 2008 meltdown, which affected a lot of people. But from that point forward, it, it was synonymous with the proliferation of the mobile device, the mobile phone, and the whole industry started changing and security measures started changing. But it seemed to me mortgage never changed. And every time I go back to refinancing a house or having some experience in the mortgage industry, I literally went through a title issue the other day and was sent some knowledge-based authentication questions, which was popular in the 80s. Today, that is not the mechanism to identify people. Explain when you say knowledge-based mechanisms or what that is for us. Yeah, knowledge-based authentication is simply someone's giving you a series of questions and you have to answer them. For example, here's four addresses. Which one did you live? Here's a, you had a car in the 90s. What color was it? Those type of questions that supposedly the only the person answering should know. But in reality, there's so much data and there's 100 or 294 million people were impacted last year from cyber security and personal data stolen. So if you wow. think about that, every year and a half, one of us has our identity stolen. Okay. Wow. So that's just a fact. So it's out there. Your data's out there. Anytime you fill out a credit application or you're filling out a sweepstakes to win something, your data is out there and it's being compromised. And the mechanisms have to be put into play to prevent that. But there's, it's just not happening, especially in the mortgage business. John, I got a question, then I got a follow-up question or follow-up comment, I should say to this. I'd like you to discuss with us what industries are impacted most from cyber attacks, but I do have a follow-up question once you respond to that. Yeah, the top three is financial, healthcare, and government. The first one just it baffles me because you have a lot of money and you have a lot of people protecting money. I'm still just perplexed that the financial sector is number one. Healthcare, 
you can kind of understand that because you have so many people participating and so many people touching the environment, you know, from employees to doctors to nurses to vendors, everyone's hitting that network. So there's a big opportunity for breaches. And thirdly is government. And government's just because we all know bid and spec, we know how that game works. And you got a lot of great ideas and a great, op- great concepts, but not necessarily the best vendor providing the service. The follow-up item I have is not as much a question as it is a statement. I kind of like you to respond to it. I know that when we're talking about cybersecurity, we're talking about people trying to get into what you have someplace, one place or another. But there are so many applications. When we talked yesterday, my mind has gone wild thinking about things. And I'm thinking about how great it would be if I walked into Wells Fargo, where I bank, and I walked up to the counter and I did visual identification there rather than having to pull out IDs and all that stuff or doing that little four-digit password on their keypad, which, you know, how many times we talked about how quick people can figure that out. And so I was thinking about pulling in a drive-in. They, they can't even see you in a drive-in and how nice it would have that you say you pull up and you hit your Wells Fargo app and, and do an image ID that transmits internal to the drive-in window teller to do things like that. Do you think we're going to see things like that in our lifetime? I'm an old guy now. I got probably 10, <laughs> 15 years. Do you think in the next 10 or 15 years that we're going to see some things like that? where it's just like clear at the airport, where we depend on the visual ID? Yeah, absolutely. It's moving there. Some industries are quickly adopting it. And I'm hoping after today, the mortgage industry will start progressing in that direction a little more aggressively. But now you hit the nail on the head. About 90% of all data breaches is a result of someone giving up their credentials. And what I mean by that is giving up a username, password. If you sit there, if you work, like we all work on computers all day long, it are constantly being attacked. And the term is called phishing, a phishing attack. And what happens is you receive something that looks like, hey, Microsoft, they're asking for my credentials because there's been some changes to our Windows application. And so the consumer will put in their login credentials and they'll ask for some basic information. It could be credit card, it could be a mobile number, but any of that information they provide literally gives the hackers keys to the kingdom. And businesses don't realize this. The business is one disgruntled employee away from having their network hacked. If you think about it, one phishing attempt to an upset employee can give the keys to the kingdom away in a heartbeat. And so that's the troubled part. The thing is that we're bringing to the environment is, as you hit the nail on the head there, Mark, is the liveness authentication. Our focus is to eliminate username, password. So you eliminate the data and the breach mechanism and just put a padlock on the door and they can't get through it. And if you do that and everything driven forward is liveness and then a trusted device to do a one-to-one match. And what I mean by that is if you enroll in the system using your mobile device, you have to do your liveness authentication and your mobile device to get into the access, to access the system in the future. That eliminates hackers. They don't have your phone and they sure don't have your face and they don't have a liveness of your face. So combining those two together just really takes the security level to an exponential notation from what we're seeing out there today. I think you mentioned yesterday you you get a lot of phishing attacks and my wife and I do. In fact, 
I've tried to educate my wife. I said, read the email it's coming from. Most of these yes, fishers sir. are using just stupid emails. But every once in a while, they get creative on the emails they come from, and it looks just like it's the bank or whatever. So it's a real challenge we got in the future. We know what phishing attacks are, but if you could cover that again, but also how artificial intelligence is impacting this latest round of threats. Great question, David. Yeah, phishing basically is the fraudulent practice of sending out emails or texts. And the whole goal is to make it look like a reputable company in order to induce individuals to reveal personal information, such as passwords, credit card information, birthday, any personal information given up to these individuals. And just put in perspective, every day, there's about 3.4 billion phishing emails sent out. And last year, Almost half of every email sent out was a phishing attack. So just half. think about that. Half. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, it's barbarians at the gate. It feels like they're just mounting an insurmountable number of emails to overcome. And it's one of those that's going to make it through. And that's all it takes is just that one. You're correct on that, David. Because the, the interesting part is like 94% of all cyber attacks are triggered by an email situation or an email compromise. They're highly successful. Why would they keep doing it? And there's another scary statistic out there. There's almost 1.4 million new phishing websites created per month. <laughs> Staggering. It's unbelievable. Thanks, John, John, a follow-up to that and jumping in here again, I'm sorry, but I'm, my mind's going crazy on this, but what percentage of the phishing attacks, you, you have some great numbers here. Do you have any idea what percentage of the phishing attacks really go after seniors in this country? I don't know specifically. I don't even think they need to boil that demographic down. It's scary to think if they would target elderly people. You can't get much higher than 94% on success rate, but that would be a scary proposition to imagine. And especially with, uh, David mentioned AI. AI is a new bully on the block. I tell you, they're, the stuff they're coming up with and how fast they can do what they do. There was just a report out that they can crack over half of the common passwords in less than a minute. And over 70% in less than a day, just by artificial intelligence that we're just now seeing out there in the news. And that's going to be the next growth model and then those the next attack. And that, yeah, and that's uh, just using our current technology. It's not even getting into the quantum computer that is coming, is already there by IBM's created one of the first quantum computers, which accelerates this exponentially. It really gets down to what you're saying is facial recognition which is something we now all have on our phones, is the most foolproof way. Is it really foolproof? Facial recognition is not foolproof, but liveness authentication is. Okay, so ex okay. explain the difference between liveness and facial recognition. Yeah, so facial rec, it's very good. We all use it. If you have an iPhone, you can look. It allows you to get into the system, but it's a basic, it picks out a couple points on yeah, your face. And it allows you in. It doesn't have to be very robust because 99.9% .9 of the time, you're the person going at your phone, so it's easy to recognize you. Liveness authentication is a series of events leading up to the face liveness recognition, or we call it liveness access. But what happens is you build the case, you build a profile of the individual by onboarding them by authenticating their phone, their ID, and then capturing video and the perfect image of them 
cross-matching it back to the other devices. For example, my face to the face on the government-issued ID. And the end result is to create a biometric template that is extremely secure, that's gone through some top-notch rigor to say, hey, the data matches, the phone matches, the every you build all these check, checks and balances. At the end of it, the profile says, I feel certain this is Mark. And then we take that and then we decentralize it and break it up into pieces and store it on a peer-to-peer network, just in different nodes. So the whole focus now is not only we have built this wonderful profile on you, but we've broken into pieces where they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, but we do it on the matching side. So now as you come into any system, if you've onboarded, we are going to recognize two things. One is the device that you enrolled from and match it to that face. Creates that true one-to-one comparison, and it's probably the highest level of access security out there available today. Yeah, John, what are some of the major exposure gaps companies fail to identify and deal with? Oh, (laughs) I think the major one is just denying and sticking their head in the sand, thinking it's not going to happen to them. And you can't do that. You have got to be ahead of this game because the fraudsters, they're relentless. That's all you can say. They are not backing down. Uh, Companies, we talk to them all the time and they have the posture. That's probably not going to happen to us. And then they get hit and then they go try to go out and get cyber insurance after that. And they're paying 10 times the premium. Cyber insurance, that alone is, is astronomical. They don't even know how to price it up. It's gotten so bad in the industry. I was speaking with an insurance carrier the other day, and they've elevated their rates tenfold the last two years because they're just trying to stay ahead of the claims because they're getting destroyed. How do companies mitigate their exposure then? We talked a little bit about it, but if you were writing a consulting plan, how would you tell them to mitigate their exposure these days? I think what companies need to do, they need to look internally, they need to look at what they have today and say, first of all, what we have, what can we do to improve this? And you see a lot of them say, hey, we store our data in a hosted environment, AWS, Azure, it's taken care of. And that couldn't be further from the truth. 70% of companies that have their data hosted in a cloud service get hacked in the first year, okay? Because everyone's under this illusion that one of the hosted environments is protecting their data. In reality, their term, I think they call it a shared responsibility model, okay? And what that means is you share your data and then you are responsible for your security. AWS, if you put it in perspective, builds a house and they let you put your furniture in the house, but you as a business are responsible for putting in the windows, putting in the doors, putting all the locks on it, Putting the surveillance, all that is responsible of the business, not of the hosted platform. So that's one big illusion that I think that companies look strongly at. And the second one is multi-factor authentication. You see a lot of it out there. We do multi-factor, but we do it in a multi-dimensional approach. We're fans of it. Unfortunately, the fraudsters and the hackers are already well past multi-factor authentication. So what they do is they build these phishing kits and they look like legitimate services used to steal credentials. And then they forward the MFA request to the user. So they'll post out a bank, they'll get the bank logo and they'll make it look like it's your bank. And then they'll steal the credentials and then they'll forward it back to have people enter more information. So once they get control of that data, what they do is they basically return a session cookie that can be used to access legitimate services as the user. 
So once they get that cookie in play, they can go in as the user and access the systems and just take over the accounts. It's referred to as account takeover. And you hear a lot in the mortgage business as a business email compromise. Extraordinary. As I'm listening to this, Mark, I'm thinking about how vulnerable we are, but I wanted to distill this down to practical mortgage day-to-day -day operations. We all are working with an LOS. More and more people are working in addition to the LOS, which is the core system, most would agree. You have these purchase point of sale terminals where we start interacting right away. We also have our CRMs, uh, some of the tools that are out there. We have uh, Total Expert as one of our sponsors. We have Simple Nexus as one of our sponsors. Of course, there's a number, any number of the larger LOSs out there. How should people start thinking about their tech stack as it relates to mortgage lending and how do you intersect with that? Yeah, great question, Dave. We push and we put our stake in the ground and we believe that liveness, authentication and decentralized biometric is the key moving forward. Not just for the borrower, but for the provider as well. So you have it secured on both ends of the spectrum. And think about this, it's so easy to do. It's a one-time onboarding. So a borrower would want to get a mortgage. And so the mortgage lender in this scenario, David, would just send out a link or they could scan a QR code and they go through a simple onboarding process. All they do is type in their mobile number. They take a picture of their government issued ID front and back, and they take a liveness scan of their face. And then we do all of our analytics on the back end and create this profile and decentralize it and now everything moving forward through the entire loan process, everybody can go back at that borrower at any time in real time to say, I want to authenticate that person. So think about this. So they onboard, they submit their data, and we normalize the data and we auto-populate the LOS with that pristine data off their driver's license and other sources. Now the loan officer has a color image front and back and a digital version of the government issued ID, which is another win for them. So they're checking all the boxes when it comes to their anti-money laundering, their Bank Secrecy Act compliance. You know, we do the watch list checks. We do all that for them. And so now everyone down the line feels extremely confident that they have a single source of truth now to validate that borrower. And so when it gets down the line, say it goes into a secure wire situation where wiring instructions need to be sent out. All the, the settlement agent has to do now is send them a link. The borrower hits the link on their mobile device, takes a selfie and sends it back. We know that device, we know that phone belongs to that borrower. We know that face matches that device. And in seconds, we're returning back results to the agent saying, hey, that is the right person. Go ahead and send them the wiring instructions. So now they have a secure end-to-end -end environment where they can safely move the information where you have a borrower that's now not wiring money to a phony offshore account. They're literally wiring it to the actual secure agent that they were working with from the beginning. I think a lot of people get complacent in this because they go, it's the title insurance problem if they do this. It's the consumer's problem. I think we we need to wake up and realize that every one of our companies, even us personally, have a responsibility in this process. And to what extent, if we fail that, as how is a loan officer or an employee liable in those situations, John? Are they personally or is there a totally come under the umbrella of the company? It's a check-a-box, David. At the end of the day, there's no liability. 
there's no blowback on it. They're responsible for originating loans. And you're going to have some people do it right. And some people that, you know, that could possibly do it wrong. And that's my point as I get to the point where we as companies have got to take this seriously. We got to do the training on this. We got to make sure we have the latest tools to do this. How are you helping companies do this? Is this a, you have a product that you have. Let's talk about what your company specifically does. And I'm talking about Moby. Yeah. So what we do, and just equating to what's going on here in the mortgage business, our focus is real simple. We would eliminate exposure gaps and then a data exposure. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that you're dealing with the right person at the right place at the right time. It's a very simple approach. Anybody would want to make sure that they have the right borrower, even all the way down to the closing table. You think about, I had a discussion the other day with a title agent. I said, what do you do to authenticate that borrower when they walk in the door to sign the documents or they're doing it online? And they're like, well, the loan officer already did that. We trust them. And I said, but what happens if there's a fraudster here and he hits you for a $400,000 loan? Are you on the hook for that? And his response was, I could be. I said, doesn't that trouble you? Doesn't that bother you that you're dependent on some unknown person making sure that's the right guy walking in your office? It's just mind boggling. But what we do is we take them through the rigor. It's very simple. It's a very simple onboarding process, less than a minute for them to get on. And they do it one time and that's it. And so anytime from origination to secure wire, to remote online notary, to the closing table, even post-closing review, any of those professionals, those providers have the ability to send out a link to the individual, to their mobile number on file in the LOS, hit a button, hit another applet, sends out a notice, says, hey, I need you to authenticate yourself. Person just hits it, there's a liveness access, we call it liveness access with the selfie, and submit it back. It's done virtual real time. And everyone just feels secure. There's no customer friction. That's what I get pushed back mostly on uh, is I find that banks and mortgage companies are so worried about customer pushback. So worried about customer friction. In reality, this is a better customer service approach because you think about it, if you have a mortgage officer that says, hey, I'm sending you a link, I need you to do X, Y, and Z to prove your identity. As a consumer, you're going to be like, I like this bank. They're protecting my money, my social, my information, and my reputation. Banks have looked at it backwards for years. And it wasn't too long ago where you were actually putting a thumbprint on a little pad and putting your fingerprint on the back of a check when you were depositing a check over $4,000. It's mind-boggling the archaic approach that's still in the industry today, but the industry needs to take a big leap forward for sure. We already have a cost problem in our industry. We Our costs to originate a loan are going up and exponentially. Now that doesn't even factor in should there be a loss in as a result of a cybersecurity attack. But when it comes to implementing the type of technology that Mobi offers, how long does it take and what is the cost to do? Yeah, implementation's pretty straightforward. We can stand alone or we can integrate into an LOS or a CRM or even a title agent's platform. That's full API stack. We're a SaaS architecture, so it's really easy to use. And we're device independent, so anybody with a browser, it could be a Mac, it could be a PC, it could be a mobile device, it does not matter. But getting implemented and launching the service 
There's no capital investment. There's no hardware needed. Literally, and I'm going to say this, I could set up a major banking system within a week or two. It's literally knowing what their addresses are of their facilities, assigning QR codes to those site-specific QR codes to those facilities, and then bringing up some training and it's everyone's off to the races. It's very fast. As far as cost, it's excessively reasonable. The average transaction that we allow in this scenario, a borrower to originate, to run through the multiple use cases and have all that data readily available at the end, a normal transaction is less than $10. Okay. It's a transactional model then? Yes, sir. And it's transactional based on that specific use. So you have a user, a borrower says, I'm using it. And there could be multiple transactions going back and forth where they're authenticating the guy repeatedly. It doesn't yeah. matter. They have unlimited authentication based on what we're doing. Okay, good, good. Is it by borrower or by like a transaction refinance? If they refinance after they've done their first mortgage, they got a purchase mortgage, they refinance another $10. Or once you have a relationship with that consumer, it's a $10 once and done, one and done. Yeah, if the subscription is $10 and that would last them for a year. So if they have an origination today and they refinance in less than a year, there's no additional cost. Okay, but outside of a year, which most of the case, most of the time it happens outside of a year, then there's going to be a cost for that again. Okay, good. Yeah, but $10 if for the amount of money that it saves, but the risk that it takes out seems so reasonable. I completely agree. We find that you have a satisfied customer that understands, if you think about the dynamics and you have 85% of consumers now are looking for a better customer experience right. more than price. And so it, you, they know there's report, a century has a report out that says that 86% of consumers are willing to pay more money for a better customer experience. Yeah. And I think that's been part of the issue. The mortgage industry is moving there. It just probably needs to move a lot quicker because all the digital that's coming into play is really starting to change the industry because at the end of the day, no one enjoys paperwork. Everyone has heartburn. I just went to the doctor this morning and it's the same forms every time I go in. Yeah. But that's part of it. But I think it's well overdue. I think what we're trying to do with the industry is going to protect, and it's an easy user case, a very easy, and it's the same process for every step. So once there's an onboard, like I said, anybody can follow just a simple hit an applet, send a text, and the bar is authenticated within seconds. You can't ask for an easier, lighter version. Yeah. John, I got two things I'd like you to pine on here real quick. The first is, in anticipation of this call, I did a little count. I have 82 passwords. <laughs> the best, yeah. I might be all five or 10 e either way, but I got 82. And I probably, because of this constant thing where you got to be changing your password periodically in some companies, I probably throws me into a deal where I have to, I have to reset seven, to eight passwords a month, which I see your technology could completely eliminate that issue unless I'm wrong. But the second thing, I wanted you to comment on that, but the second thing was my cardiologist shared something with me about six months ago, and I haven't followed up with him to talk about it, but when I go back in, I will. And he said that what's happening right now in the medical field is medical costs have gotten so expensive. There's so much fraud in that now because people are stealing an ID, making up a phony ID, 
going to a brand new doctor representing they they fished the insurance number off the bar because they did something stupid when they asked to validate your account or something. And they're going in, John Doe's going into your doctor and getting surgical procedures done off a phony ID and all that stuff. I never thought that would be a problem, but it's apparently becoming a bigger problem. Have you heard that also? Yeah, Mark, you're a genius, by the way. Yes. Think of, get to your first point. I looked myself and I'm right on the average person has about a hundred email usernames and passwords. Okay. I keep a spreadsheet. Okay. Of mine, just to give you an example. And I have tabs underneath of it based on different things. Yes. I completely agree that eventually liveness authentication is going to replace username, password. It's, you think of the rigor, you think of the the friction that you go through because I'm a big fan of two-factor authentication where you type in your mobile number and you get a code, but doing it every time just wears you out. Every time you log into something and it's asking for more information, that's a bad customer experience. Our focus is saying, look, let's clean it up. I'll use your scenario with the hospital because what you're describing is the number one joint commission target. That's their goal with the joint commission in healthcare is to eliminate patient misidentification, okay? Not necessarily for the theft. It's literally for hospital chains lose, on average, $17 million a year in denied claims due to patient misidentification, okay? Don't even factor on how many patients go in there and they pull up the wrong file on them, okay? From one who went into the emergency room for the first time in my life at 55, I gave him my social security number and some other individual had been using my social security number at that hospital for a number of years. And I had to prove to them that was my social security number before they would treat me. It's just, it's mind boggling. But what you're describing is exactly right. We have a local hospital chain here, the biggest chain in the Louisville area. They have been breached. They have a cybersecurity breach going on now. Their entire network is down. I was just over there this morning for an appointment and they were using paper forms that has to eventually be re-entered and reissued wow. back into the, the EMR. So it's crazy to think that these organizations are still relying on username password for access to get into these systems, specifically in the financial and the healthcare markets, because they're one and two out there being attacked. Crazy. How can people get a hold of you, John, if they want to learn more about Moby and your services? Yeah, look at our website, gotmobi.com, or just give me a call. My direct mobile number is area code 502-664-6069. Call me anytime. And if anyone has any questions, I'll be happy to spend time with them, happy to do any type of in-service education to help them understand that this is a very serious issue. It's not necessarily the financial amount up front. It's the long-term losses. They're showing a 15% decline on a business. Once they get breached over three years, they're still at a 15% loss and have it regained back to their normal business position, if you would. So it's got long-term threat, long-term ramifications, and, and people need to get ahead of this before, it's, before it hits you because it's not a matter of if, it's when. It's, you can think it's not going to happen, but it, it, you're going to get breached. So important. Thank you so much, John, for being here with us. Thank you, Mark, for joining in on the interview and joining me on the interview. Good to have you all listening to this. Folks, take this serious. We talk, you're hearing a lot about cybersecurity. Check out what 
John is doing, John and his company, Moby. And uh, what is your website? It's at Moby.inc or? It's gotmoby.com. Oh, gotmoby, G-O-T-M-O-B-Y.com. Yes, sir. Very good. John, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. David, my pleasure. Mark, thank you so much. It's been great. David, now we got to believe Mr. Kettle, don't we? Yeah, we do. He said he had some bright <laughs> friends. Now we got to believe him. Now he does. Yeah. That's He's got one bright friend. I'm the only, only friend of his in the University of Louisville. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.